All right. So we did a little survey. We didn't do a survey. Okay. Oh. We, we did a survey. <laughs> And that's, this was just asking a few people amongst themselves. And the questions that we asked, right? The questions that we asked, what word do you associate with the word money? I can't even see it from here anymore. Yeah. This, this was just a kind of immediate thing. You didn't get a lot of chance to think about it. Budgeting, pounds, shops, greed, house, cars, stuff. What does the word money make you feel? Anxious, mixed feelings, excited. Nice if you got it. <laughs> why, do you, why do you think it makes you feel like this? Don't deserve it. Changes in circumstances. Provides power. Not easy to get, so if you can do anything, depends if money's tight, stress, if you've got it, lots of thankfulness. Yeah. Do you have any fears or hopes in regards to money? Fear that others will be disappointed in how it's spent, hope to have enough to provide for the family, hope you'll still be able to be generous, hope getting what you want, hope that you'll have enough to live on. Hmm, okay. All right, well, we, as you know, um, follow what God said and what he does. And he uses money as a temperature gauge. You know a temperature gauge or a thermometer uh, shows on the outside what's happening on the inside. And time and time again, you see God using it like that. And it is, um, therefore, a very important subject uh, because of... The fact that it is a thermometer or temperature gauge. If you've got something going wrong with the engine of your car, you see that the temperature gauge goes up. And so we regard it, as indeed the Lord does, as a kind of temperature gauge. See what's actually happening. And the best description I ever saw uh, of this is in a sketch that would be familiar to many of you but not to everybody. And I've asked that we just look at that again because I don't want us just to hear it and look at it, but to actually see it applied. Thank you. Yeah, well, I suppose you know, 100 quid is a stock. Um, I mean, is that, is that a debit card I see? 
There is there is one more thing that I was I was hoping to um, to ask you for. Um, I, I kind of like you. Um, I mean, I, I'd like you to to give everything you have for me and to work for me full time. Uh, so that if I need you at any point, I'm just and you'll be there. If I need anything doing, uh, you'll be able to do it for me. Basically, just just give you the time uh, in service for me. And then I think I can, I can maybe give you give you my So. I will give you the phone if I could have your service for all your life. And um
Oh, one thing before we go. Um, I've got some stuff here in the wallet with cards and things like that. And um, this wedding ring, you can have your wife back and your kids um, as well. And your car, your car keys in there, and your house. Oh, but just remember, all that stuff, um, you can hang on to it, but it belongs to me. Uh, so if I need your house at any point, I've got friends over in the to stay, uh, I can call on you to use your house. Or if I need you to do anything for me or need any money, uh, I'll let you know and, and, and you can follow me there. the pearl of greatest price is eternal life which we receive as we submit and surrender our life uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that we have uh, we have as it were as stewards it's all his it all belongs to him and uh, I think that's a that's a very interesting aspect of looking at money, but of course it goes far beyond that because it looks at the whole of life. Uh, my life is not my own. With a price I have been bought. Uh, and we understand that we have given ourselves to him. We live under his lordship. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about our gospel. And uh, it's important we just recognize that everything we have, we have as stewards because it all really belongs to his, including and important, therefore, uh, the issue of money. It actually belongs to him. And uh, it's important that we understand that he is our source. Uh, we mustn't confuse uh, the, the means or the method with the source. Uh, you know, my employer might be the method, but God is the source. I remember I used to um, have a slight problem on this because in insisting that God was my source and supplied my need, I never found that I could go to my boss and say, I need more money. Of course, that would be completely contradictory to the idea that God supplies. <coughs> so I had to devise a way because... He had to give me more money uh, because I was worth so much. And so I used to go to him and say, I am earning so much money for this company, I'm doing so well, etc., etc. I could never go and say, please give me more because I have a need, because that would completely go against what I'm actually believing, that God is the supplier of my needs. So we, we recognize that God can use many, many methods. Uh, he may use wages, but he's not limited to wages because he is God. And therefore, we don't confuse the fact that uh, God will do what he will do. And of course, when it comes to money, uh, because it all belongs to him, uh, he tells us quite clearly in principle what to do with our 10% uh, to lay that at the feet of the leaders to give that unto him. That's the easy bit. It's the rest that belongs to him that becomes our responsibility to say, so Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Uh, what is your will? Because this is your money. Um, 
So the first bit is easy. It's the next bit that we have to be careful to ask. Very important um, we understand this pearl of greatest price. And of course, it brings us into this whole issue of um, recognizing that a wise steward, somebody operating sensibly, will have a budget. Um, will take a responsible position as a steward, will have a budget. But God does not tell us to live by budget. He tells us, tells us to live by faith. So budget is good and vital and important, but it's not the final decider of what we do. Let me explain. It means that if I'm listening to what God says, if I'm living by faith, if I'm doing the things according to him, I may have money, but not spend it. You may ask me for money, and I might feel God is not telling me to give it to you, even though I've got it. Now, there's another, even more radical thing. Listen to me carefully. It may mean that God tells us to do something for which we haven't got the money. You think, well, that's called credit. No, it's not what I'm talking about. It's called higher purchase. No, it's not that. This is about faith. This is about not being limited to what God, to, to what we see when we're saying that we're trusting God. See, we're talking here about a very, very exciting way to live. God's way. We're just simply talking about it as it applies to money. But of course it applies to the whole of life. So, way back in the beginning of things that God was teaching us, we were working into uh, Italy. Uh, one of the first things that we were doing in the overseas side, there was this awful earthquake. And uh, very wisely, the people there said, look, all sorts of things are happening. People are, are sending stuff which is of no use. Will you please come? We're, we're overwhelmed. Come and help us to assess what to do. And so we did. And what well, you saw the need was for housing. And I got a phone call from Italy, and they're saying, we need, we feel we need, that there's this opportunity to provide these houses. And it was a large amount of money. And I said, yes, we will do it. We had nothing like the money. And I was at that time representing not just the church, but the network that we were involved in. But it was in the formative times. There wasn't strong uh, involvements. But how irresponsible to commit to provide for people that haven't got when we didn't have the money to do it. But actually, it was one of those times when God was telling us to do something irrespective of that we had the money. And it was thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. And of course, what happened? The money came and God honoured his word. So, faith, not budget. I can't work on the basis that my money is mine. I worked for that. I went without 
for a year in order to get this. Yep. See, if we work, if we have a surplus, if we save, let's just stop to think, where does the health, the energy, the opportunity come from? It all comes from God in the first place. Our next heartbeat depends on God. The very breath that we breathe depends on God. So we've got to keep understanding that whilst we might think we're doing it, we're doing it by his grace and by what he provides for us. See, <clears throat> when we started off and came into the, what at that time was called the restoration, it was about being hearers and doers of the word. For many of us, we'd heard lots and lots of word. We weren't short of teaching. But what we were lacking was the practice of what we were seeing in the word of God. And it required some radical change. And one of the most significant aspects of radical change was in the attitude to and the handling of money. Because many of you don't know this, but the, the, the mentality, the kind of mentality of the church was try and get something for nothing or at least do it in the cheapest possible way. We came to realize that God and his kingdom is about excellence. God is not afraid to invest money for the advance of his kingdom. God is not concerned about expressing something which is excellence. We're not talking about uh, over the top, we're not talking about opulence, but we're talking about excellence. So absolutely different. We used to say, you know all this stuff you get poked through your doors, all these leaflets and, and that. Do you get that advertising stuff through your doors? Yeah. You always knew if something was from a, a church because it was the cheapest, nastiest, scruffiest thing that you could... I mean, it stood out a mile. It was brilliant advertising because it stood out by its grottiness. But how does something like that commend the kingdom? And so... We started on a radical course of which you are part of today of actually having a whole different attitude and that of course extends, I find it completely incomprehensible that you could have a mean Christian. I can't see how you can put those two things together. I, I cannot see how you can have somebody who's, who's tight and mean and say they're a Christian because a Christian is supposed to be a follower of God. This is the God who is extravagant. You know, look outside and see how many different colour greens there are on the trees and bushes and plants. He could have made do with one colour. Do the whole lot green. One lot. Look at all the different birds. I mean, you know, you need something to fly, make the kind of world... Why not just have one sort? Just make do with one. The very nature of God. You know, we, we, we live in his goodness. You know, whether it be in what he provides for us or what he does in his world. The excellence of the kingdom. The extravagance of God. I want to 
draw your attention to one of the most exciting things in the scripture. And it's about the how of giving. Because the how is, is far more important than the amount. Attitude is everything. Amount is measured completely differently. The idea of, well, I've given my share, <coughs> I don't need to do anything else, it completely cuts across what we've just seen. The idea of it all belongs to God and our whole life depends on God. Uh, the idea that we do our bit and then it's, it just doesn't make sense, does it? How can you uh, have given over your whole life and then measure it out and I've done my bit or I've given my bit or whatever the case may be? Let me turn you to um, 2 Corinthians, one of my favourite descriptions of giving. Chapter 8. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. <coughs> Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You ever been on the receiving end of something like that? Man, it, it's tough. When people give to you, I know the first time I was in a, a, a developing nation and people, and I saw just, I'm talking about people without um, electricity, phones, uh, many, most without running water. And they came and brought an offering. And I thought, there's no way there's no way I can take that at all. And somebody who was wise said to me, you know, you have to. Because if you don't, you deny them the fact that it's more blessed to give than receive. That's a very humbling thing to have to receive in situations like that. Happened just recently in Zimbabwe. He came to me afterwards and said, this is for you. I thought, how can, how can I do that? These people often not got enough to eat. It's, it's, a, it's a biblical thing. Out of their most severe trial, their overwhelming joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, for which, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Man, I wish that these people that are doing big spiels to receive offerings would read this and get a life. It infuriates me when I see this Christian culture and when it when it goes into, if you give this, if you sow your seed, you will get this back. I think this is putrid. It absolutely stinks and it's so contrary to the word of God. This is God's way of giving. And listen to what they said. They didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then to us in keeping with God's will. 
And out of that, they, they proceeded with their giving. See, understand that what God wants is that we give ourselves to Him, we express that in giving ourselves to one another, and it's out of that, that heart thing, that the giving is to flow. Now that's the giving that God wants. It's, a, it's an expression of heart. I told you before, there's a culture in these big conferences that's creeping across the world that they have a set of speakers and different times it'd be this one or that one that speaks and it becomes a nasty competitive type of attitude. Stinks. But there's also uh, like a rotor almost of one of the speakers that's not, not bringing the teaching that night will be the one who presents the offering or raises the offering. And again, it's a competitive thing. How much can they raise? I was in one of these conferences. I only lasted once, I rest assured. And they said, it's your, it's your opportunity to raise the offering tonight. I said, I don't think you want me to do that. Oh, yes, we're sure. He said, well, let me just tell you how I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell people why they shouldn't give. This is my way of raising an offering. Why you shouldn't give. About talking about giving out of the heart, not pressurizing. He quickly moved on and decided I wasn't the person to be raising the offering. He was wise. Actually, he was foolish because we would have released an offering which may have been minimal or may have been maximum, doesn't really matter, but it would have been an offering of people giving according to their hearts, not according to the pressure that was put upon them. Very, very key. That's the scheme of God in terms of giving, that we give ourselves first to Him and we give according to His direction and it's an expression of heart. Remember, we're giving to God what is already His. Now, I heard a story once of some children in a family who received presents. And when they opened the presents, there was a kind of strange recognition, a sense of, hmm, I've seen this somewhere before. Actually, I've seen this in my cupboard. I remember receiving this last year. It's receiving what's already yours. It's just a story I heard of giving what already belongs. That's just a little idea for Christmas. For, you know. <laughs> All right. So we have the privilege of being stewards. Uh, one who manages somebody else's property, finances or affairs, not the owner, but has the opportunity as a steward of being a channel of God's purpose. 
It's a very, very special role. You realise that not everything God gives you is for you. You realise that? Do you? If we can talk, it's all right. If you're talking to me, if you're talking to somebody else, it's not all right. If you're talking to me, it's okay. Yeah? Not everything God gives you is for you. Joyce Mayer tells a story in one of her books about this uh, red dress, quite an expensive red dress that she bought. And uh, she had never worn it. And she was praying for somebody and looked up and saw this red dress and had this weird idea that she should give the red dress to this woman. But she said, I've never worn it. I can't do that. It's new. And the same thing happened a little time later. And she came to realize that the red dress was never for her. It was for this person that God was directing. Just think of the privilege of being a channel of the purpose of God. You see, if we're like that, holding on, we're not going to be going to be a blockage, not a channel. I've told you the story before of going to uh, somebody that was serving God and being in their home and seeing some real signs of hardship. You know, threadbare carpet, young children, no washing machine, all sorts of things like that. And this person said, you know, I was ministering last week and, and God really blessed me, gave me this offering. And I'm sitting there thinking, praise God, this guy really needs it. I mean, there's signs of some severe hardship here. And he said, yeah, what was so good was that I had a missionary come through a few days afterwards and I was able to give it to him. And I'm thinking, what on earth are you about? You need it. But you see, he got the understanding of what it is to be a channel. To do what God tells you to do, you can then receive in order to give. That's a very, very great privilege. comes as being part of a steward in his kingdom. A channel for him. We need to be good stewards. It's not a question of being mean. We can't be tight-fisted. It's not just about splashing money out. You know, I don't have any, so it's no problem. Uh, you're getting something from somewhere. Use it, you know. It's a kind of somehow, I don't know why, the attitude can, can deteriorate. You know, I, I remember when I was stockbroking, dealing with cultured people, people of, of um, real manner and culture, and time and again, see the transformation if they thought they were losing out on a deal or missing out on an opportunity, sort of turn into uh, uncouth, almost animal-like behavior. You see it yourselves um, with some of the malarkey that goes on when it comes to bigger issues like buying and selling houses and how people give their word and then go back on it and the, the kind of attitudes that, that exist. It's a temperature gauge. So we have the opportunity to be uh, responsible. That's the word that comes to me when we talk about money, responsible. We have a responsibility. We have the opportunity to do what he says and to actually do it his way and to be channels of his blessing. And as we look at that, let me just turn you for a moment. Remember, all our giving 
is actually to him. The Bible says, whatever you do, you do as unto the Lord. But let's just turn to this, um, this excellent story in uh, John chapter 12. This is where the woman comes with the uh, ointment and, and anoints the feet of Jesus. He's sitting there at the meal and she comes and takes a very expensive perfume and uh, basically anoints his feet. And it's of great value. The Bible says it was worth a year's wages. Uh, and uh, she's kind of attacked for what she's done. But then she receives the approval of the Lord. Let's understand three things from that. First, she was very, very generous. Um, just like God. There is no one more generous than God who gave his one and only son for you and for me. Very generous. Sacrificial. Yeah, it was, it was worth a lot, but she chose to, gave it, to give it. She was using the sacrifice in an act of worship. And I want us to understand that closeness between sacrifice and worship. When we come to paint Castle Point, we can just do a job and maybe you've got decorating to do at home. Maybe you've got jobs to do at home. But rather than just doing a job, I want us to see this is, this is a sacrifice. This is something I'm bringing in my worship to you. You realise you can worship in painting a wall, don't you? You realise that. Worship is not just about singing songs. This is about actually coming to God and giving ourselves to God and saying, Lord, I'm doing this for you. It was sacrificial. It was generous. And it was cheerful because she received, oh, lots of criticism, but she received the approval of Jesus. There is no greater joy than receiving his approval. He says to the, uh, those who would criticize, leave her alone. It was intended that she should do this. Received God's approval. That's a great place to be, to be receiving his approval. So we can be responsible. We can give generously, sacrificially, cheerfully. Remember the how is more important than the amount. Remember, you understand that your God's value system is different to ours. Let me go back again and tell you a story of a few years ago, quite a few years ago. There was in the church somebody who had a lot of money and they were using their money and they were giving their money uh, and sometimes in a bit of a manipulative way but everybody thought, oh, how good, how generous they are. Then I heard about one of the sisters, single parent, who was choosing to give to the point that she was managing with, without buying meat. She chose to, to actually give into some offering rather than that. I thought, hmm, which, according to God's value system, counts for more? And then, of course, you remember the story from the Bible about the widow's might. 
See, we've got to understand, in this world, we measure by amounts. How much? God measures by cost. What did it cost? What element of sacrifice was involved? See, we've got to kind of switch into a totally different value system to understand it's about giving. In fact, really, I don't know that worship according to the Bible, really starts before there's a giving that actually costs something. And remember, the only giving that's of any good is that which is from the heart. God is exceedingly generous. And uh, he doesn't want... In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David uh, says, I will not give something which is essentially of little value. I will not give that which doesn't cost because it's not the kind of giving that God wants. We see in the Old Testament that, that the issue of, of worship and sacrifice combined together. The, the orchard owner would bring, of the produce, would bring and sacrifice and worship with part of, let's say, the olives. Or the shepherd would bring a sheep, or the farmer would bring grain. They would give out of the increase of their lives, they would worship with something that they've actually, it's actually cost them something, actually produce. We don't live in that, in that we, we live in a monetary society. We go to work, we earn money, and that money represents in a sense, us in a foldable form. I go to work, I earn money, and sometimes I'm allowed to keep it. <laughs> Meant to only get a low value note out, less eyes that are close, see what I've got in my pocket, and that would be disastrous. Me, in foldable form. I've earned that. I'm choosing to give that. I'm choosing to say, this is part what really belongs to you, but I worship you with it. So, where does that leave us? Leaves us with the issue that money is a vital temperature gauge and shows more perhaps than many things what is actually in the heart and what's going on. So we have the opportunity. Do I want to be generous? It's not about how much you have or give. It's about the attitude. Is there an area of responsibility relating to money that I could or should be embracing? Remember, God looks on the heart, not on the outward appearance. That's where man looks. Yes? All right. There's a, obviously a lot more to be said on the subject. There's some more in the notes, um, but we may at some point take up further detail on it, but that's enough we can do today.